Hello. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, that makes me miss Superstore. I know. I have to end it. It just ended. I've been saving those last few episodes because I'm sad. Oh, yeah. That was such a nice yeah. way to like decompress about the pandemic was watching them go through it. Uh-huh. I appreciate it. Yeah. Them. They handled it so well. The moment but, where Glenn yeah. gets coughed on and then it cuts to Dina <laughs> and him out in the like garden center and she's just hosing him down. <laughs> And he just has the saddest look on his face. Uh, is a great show, you guys. If you have not watched it, please watch Superstore. I might need to rewatch tonight. It's ended. It's ended now, so it's complete, and you can just binge all of it. Great. And it's so comforting and it's also really poignant and really tells like a truth about what it means to be yes. in America, right? And to have to uh-huh. it's yeah, it's phenomenal. Um yeah. Yeah, like if you've ever if you've ever worked in retail or like any uh, any job where you're like um basically where you're like uh I guess like customer service that's like public facing right like any kind of job where you've where you've worked with you know the public like yeah you'll you'll get it (laughs) and if you've ever like felt caught in a situation kind of where like Uh you you want to you want to like either change careers or change something and it's just not happening like that kind of limbo period yeah it's good it's good good good. Uh uh-huh and if you've ever railed against the evils of corporate america yes this is this is the show for you and america ferrera like is just a vision oh yeah oh she's great i love her anyway enough about (laughs) (laughs) it's a great show we should talk about it on the podcast we really should um we should um <laughs> so WandaVision. But we're not talking about Superstore. WandaVision also rails against the evils of corporate America. Yes. Um Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> No, okay. Um yeah, what did we talk about last time in our WandaVision discussion? Last week on Pop DNA and Wonder Woman. Wanda yes. WandaVision. Oh dear. <laughs> Wonder Woman. <laughs> they were too easy to say. Um Yeah. We did a deep dive into Monica Rambo and Agatha something is her last name. Hark Harkness. 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 It's yeah. A good name. And we did I feel like we when um my my analysis of monica was a very like like that survey class you take in college where they try and cram in like a hundred <laughs> years of history into 10 weeks and then um Rhonda also discussed the salem witch trials yeah, of course yeah Any, <laughs> there's two things that i will always discuss if i have the opportunity corsets and the salem witch trials well of course that you do <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's the second time you've made that pun I'm, and it's still funny. I'm never going to stop. 
Of course that you won't. So <laughs> we, <laughs> yes. So we have a lot to talk about. We do. This week. And I, for one, am really excited because this is the episode where we're going to zoom out a little bit and look at like some of the different perceptions and like lenses through which we can view WandaVision. Yeah. Which is like kind of meta because WandaVision is all about perceptions and how we see things. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're so (laughs) smart. Okay. So let's just dive in. Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. You got your swim trunks on? I sure do. And my flippy floppies. (laughs) Oh, good. Can't dive without your flippy floppies. Um. Yes. So (laughs) I, (laughs) I was really excited um, one of the things about WandaVision that really excited me was this idea of an unreliable narrator. Yeah. That's like kind of one of my favorite things in literature and narrative in general. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting, um, like all the different ways that a, an unreliable narrator can can affect the story. Um, and so... I really wanted to dive into how this device is used in WandaVision. Um, so quick uh, overview, um, just as a refresher, from tvtropes.org, our favorite. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> for an, unre- an unreliable narrator. So in most narratives... Like in a typical narrative story, there is an element of trust that whoever is telling you the story is telling the truth. Um, That, you know, what you see on the screen or what you read on the page, that is essentially, you know, what actually happens, quote unquote, you know, within that fictional universe. Um, So an unreliable narrator is when that is not the case. So when that convention of what you're seeing or what you're reading is meant to be taken at face value, that's not the case. Um, So the narrator's facts will contradict each other or they will or things that the narrator says will contradict what you can observe. Yeah. if you ask the narrator to like go back a bit and retell it, the events might come out differently. Right. So, yeah. Um, so the TV tropes entry actually says it can be like dealing with a used car salesman. <laughs> there is a real story in there somewhere, but you are left to piece it together through all of the lies, half truths and mistruths right. that you get through the unreliable narrator. So the reasons for a narrator's unreliability can be very different. So sometimes the narrator is a guilty party and they're trying to hide their guilt from the audience and from the other characters. Um, The the narrator might have um, some kind of, I, I think there's, there's a lot that we could, that we could say about, about this trope, um, like if the narrator has a mental illness and um, 
you know, it's kind of you're seeing things as they see them, which isn't, you know, reality. Sure. Um, and yeah, we could, we could dive into that whole trope and how it can be very problematic, but we'll, we can save that for another time perhaps. Right. Um, or you could have, um, a, you know, an, a narrator who is, who is telling you what they perceive to be the truth, but, there's more to the story that 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 the narrator doesn't know about. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of coming from their personal bias or conclusions that they draw from incomplete observation. It's it's interesting. It's used sometimes in children's literature where the narrator is a child and, um, you know, is just telling things from a child's perspective. So right. there could be more you know, outside that the child doesn't see or the child, you know, is like playing pretend, um, but claims that, um, that their like adventures really happen. Yeah. So a couple of really fun examples that I wanted to highlight because we've talked about them here on the podcast before, um, birds of prey is a great example of an unreliable narrator. Yes. Um, Cause we have Harley's voiceover that tells us things that we then clearly see like within the next scene or two, like are not true. Yeah. <laughs> like she's completely, you know, she's either lying or she, you know, doesn't see reality. Clearly. Yeah. Um, and that like really adds to um, that, the story um and it's really well done and then um an interesting one is the 2018 movie Ophelia <laughs> which essentially posits I like your little laugh there <laughs> <laughs> so this essentially posits that the original text of Hamlet has an unreliable narrator because the events of the play did not actually happen as they're presented in the play. Right. According to the Ophelia narrative. So just, you know, a couple fun examples. I bet you can think of more. Yeah. Um, they're, they're used a lot in like thrillers and like more psychological dramas. Um, and I think it's interesting when they're used in comedies because that really lends an interesting an interesting air totally <laughs> um so specifically with WandaVision's use of an unreliable narrator I actually found this really great um post from Shadow and Movies which is a movie review blog um that like says everything that I wanted to say <laughs> about <laughs> how WandaVision uses an unreliable narrator. So I'm kind of just going to like sum up what that article says um, and we'll link to it so you can go read it for yourself. Um, So basically this says like right from the beginning of WandaVision, we're seeing everything through Wanda's perception um, with like the occasional aside from Vision where he like gradually you know, more and more starts to realize that this isn't, this isn't reality. This yeah. isn't, you know, this isn't right. Um, and 
so it comments on like the the neighbors, um, the people in the town don't really get to say what they really think of what's happening at first. You know, they don't um, they don't get their own stories. They kind of act like NPCs in a video game. Totally. And then in episode four, we finally start to get the perspective of people who are outside of the town. Um, and then after that, the story still revolves around how this reality came to be. Um, you know, did Wanda start this reality or did someone else create this reality and put her in there? Um, you know, is someone else controlling everything? We don't really know that yet. Like we're still trying to figure that out. Right. And Wanda controls the information that the audience sees. So Wanda doesn't want us as like the meta audience of her sitcom. She doesn't want the audience to know the truth. She wants to just stay in her, you know, perfect sitcom family life without the outside world breaking in. And so she is intentionally lying, quote unquote, through the storylines of her TV show. And so this sort of makes her, this does make her untrustworthy because she is actually lying. Um, Sometimes she lies to vision. Sometimes she's lying to the audience, sometimes to both. Um, So really the entire show is about Wanda, um, you know, from an, from an unreliable narrator perspective, the show is about Wanda as the narrator, like, like expanding her, her view to accept reality as it is. And then we kind of gradually lose her as the narrative voice, but then she also becomes, um, so, like, we're not seeing everything as she wants us to see it, but we're seeing her as she really is, and we're seeing reality as it really is by the end. Yeah. If that makes sense. Totally. No, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really, you know, like I mentioned, like, I think it's really interesting that the unreliable narrator device is used so often in, like, psychological thrillers. Um, cause I think that, you know, that's part of like, that's part of the, the terror is like not knowing what's real and what, yeah. what's been made up. Um, and I think, you know, like we've talked about, like there are moments in WandaVision that are like truly terrifying. Yeah. And I think it's because of that uneasiness you get from not knowing not knowing what's real and also not knowing where this false reality is coming from. Right. Totally. Cause it, it's harder to gauge our safety, right. When we don't know Mm -hmm. if you're in danger, you can't tell if you're in danger, if you don't know who to trust. Yeah. It's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And it kind of puts us in, um, almost in the role of the townspeople, right? Like before they, right. like, it's, yeah. it's so interesting. I totally agree. I want to, I want more of them, um, more unreliable narrators. <laughs> I'm going to go out and say it. 
in so many ways talking about the hex um when wanda mm-hmm. makes the choice that she makes in the end spoilers sorry everyone um in so many ways <laughs> i am so against it right um and i'm looking at the psychology of kind of letting go of something and how that affects your identity and there's a huge part of me and i know this would be bad for her <laughs> but there's such a huge part <laughs> of me after we learn her backstory in episode eight when we have to see her let go of her safety and her comfort i just get so sick to my stomach you know i get really like Mm. oh i just want i want speaking of safety i want her safety and obviously that would not be the right choice (laughs) it in terms of our (laughs) psychological health in terms of keeping ourselves as reliable narrators to how we should live our lives letting go of things is incredibly important but i think it does let it go exactly elsa had it so right (laughs) yes and it it really speaks to like so many things about ourselves as humans right like we um we work so hard to kind of, even though we might say, oh, I don't like labels or I don't like to identify myself, we still do by the relationships we have, whether you identify really strongly as a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a partner, or you identify really strongly mm-hmm. as a mother or you or a father or a caretaker or an adult. Right. Or you find comfort in your job title. That makes you feel like you have a place in the world. Um, We're all looking at that psychologically. We are all trying to find a place for ourselves so that we don't have to feel out of sorts, so that we can um, not feel in danger. Um, I'm kind of, I think we see a lot of that with Wanda is that she She's gone through being a child of trauma who is like, things have never really leveled out for her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We get those great, um, those moments where she's, it's sometime before the events of WandaVision, but we're not sure how far. And it's when she first starts to bond with Vision. Um, and we see where she starts to really build her safety around him that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um which is healthy to do and unhealthy to do it respectively like it can be both um it's healthy to get your sanctuary from someone but it also can lead to um kind of an unhealthy attachment but um i just think that in terms of watching wanda like go from label to label and from thing to thing trying so hard to find a safety and then it's really revealed that that safety is going to be within herself right it's mm-hmm. it's really a beautiful like powerful story of healing um at the very beginning of the process so it starts when wanda finally lets go when we see her lose everything when we get that mm-hmm. really satisfying like crash and everything disappears And we really get to see, like, cinematically what that feels like, right? To let go of all of your safety nets, all of your, this is my entire world. And then she's just left with the clothes on her back and she puts on her hood and Mm -hmm. she walks away to find something new. And I just, I really, like, my, 
I got goosebumps when I saw how that was portrayed that moment, like that first moment of starting over was just phenomenally done, I think. And yeah, we talked a little bit about this with, um, with girls with sabers. And I don't believe that psychologically she could have done that if she hadn't have had the support of Monica there. If Monica Mm -hmm. in that moment had not said, I would have done this too, because a big part of it, you have to like yourself if you're going to, you know, go out on your own. And I think it would have been harder for Wanda to like herself if she hadn't have had that moment of restoration of healing with Monica Um, where Monica says, this is what grief is, and it's a really long, hard road, and I probably would have done the same thing that you did, but just know that, like, Mm. you're going to be okay. Because in a lot of ways, Monica is just a few steps farther on that road than... than, um, Yeah. Than Wanda. I just tried to call her Rhonda, because you're right, their names are very similar. (laughs) Um, Yes. (laughs) And I... Uh, yeah, I really don't think you would have gotten Wanda on that road if it hadn't have been for Monica. Um, and so, like, mm-hmm. I love watching two women support each other, and I just really appreciated yes. um, that. Love it. And I think we need more of that in media. Oh, women supporting each other. A thousand percent. Oh my goodness. A thousand percent. Yeah. <laughs> like, get on it. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> come on. I think we'll see it in in Captain Marvel too. I hope. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. We'll see that. Do we I'm have? Sure, we will. Is there a release date to that? Twenty twenty two is all. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, they can already have my it money. It will be next year. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But Nia DaCosta is directing. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I'm already and excited. um, yeah, and um, Kamala Khan is going to be in it. Yes. One thing I think about Wanda, about about deciding that you're like trying to bounce back from grief in that moment of um, denial is you start making a lot of decisions to save the situation. And those situ- those mm-hmm. those saving graces, like it's fascinating because they do take into account like to such an extent, how they're going to help those around you. But that doesn't mean that kind of reminds me of being an unreliable narrator, because even if you like, you are so sure that this is going to fix everything and everyone's going to be so happy you did it. And then we see vision be legitimately like heartbroken and hurt and like Mm -hmm. understand why Wanda would do that. But also like, it was a little bit of a betrayal there, you know? It was like yeah. he had to fight to figure out what on earth was going on. He had no idea. And I really like that they showcased that moment of the grieving process where someone's made all these decisions and been, like, frantically, desperately sure that they were right and has yeah. negatively impacted those around them. Okay, now I'll stop being depressing. Okay. <laughs> um well i'm going to keep being depressing because we have to talk about the male gaze a little bit okay um yeah sorry um no go right ahead (laughs) so okay so we have talked quite a bit about the male gaze in superhero media 
um, previously, um, you know, from like how this framing objectifies the women in male centric superhero stories, the comics and films alike to how this lens extends to the use of harmful archetypes of women like the femme fatale or women in refrigerators. We talked all about those in our dark night discussion. Um, and a little bit in our Black Panther discussion as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so <laughs> in uh, in an article for Medium, Stephanie Forster notes that even when filmmakers try to avoid presenting female characters as mere sexual objects by giving them complex backstories, the male gaze is still the norm. When Natasha Romanoff was first introduced in Iron Man 2, she was nothing more than a femme fatale. Um, Tony Stark even says after meeting her, I want one. Oh, wow. Gross. Yeah. Gross. Okay. Um, Before her character was finally explored in subsequent Avengers movies, we're spoon-fed a shallow, sexy depiction. Never mind that Romanoff already had a fascinating built-in backstory from the comic books. Right. Yes, in later films, she did become a more fleshed out character, but this happened by accident because the mostly male Marvel writers recognized that audiences were intrigued by Romanoff's character and could capitalize on that. Not because turning her into a real human woman had been their clever plan from the start. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes, I think that's such a great summation of how women in superhero movies have been portrayed by and large. Um, And we've talked about that um, not so much with Natasha specifically, but um, we've also talked about how, you know, the damaging effects of the male gaze can be reversed or at least, you know, heavily mitigated as happened with Natasha um, you know, with the same character from one work to another, like we talked about Jane Foster in Thor, how, you know, in the comics, she's portrayed in a very stereotypical way, but then in the movies, she's given more strength and more agency. Right. Um, the same can be said of Okoye from the Black Panther comics to the movie. Yeah. And... Harley Quinn, just from Suicide Squad to Birds of Prey, right. you see a huge shift in how she's framed and how she's portrayed. Um, and then in the other two female-centric superhero works that we have already discussed, Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, we looked a little bit about how these stories are able to be told relatively free of the male gaze. Um Although it is still a little bit in both of them. Right. Un- unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, it's the male gaze is so pervasive. I don't think we're ever going to be completely <laughs> free of it, unfortunately. Right. But, but, you know, we, uh, yeah, it's, it's complex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, so I do posit though that WandaVision, um, not only does not um, 
we don't we don't ever see the story through the male gaze, but WandaVision actually employs the female gaze. Um, no. Or if we want to give the term, you know, more inclusiveness, we could say the feminine gaze. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's it's we kind of have to use a gendered term because that's the framework, but I don't want to imply that the feminine gaze is limited by sex or gender. Yeah. That's just the term that that we have to use, I guess. But anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but what is the feminine gaze? So it can, like, it is very difficult to talk about the feminine gaze without framing it in reference to the male gaze. I mean, I started I started this whole topic talking about the male gaze. Sure. Um, but that's why that's why so many critics think that the female gaze doesn't actually exist except as an inversion of the male gaze. So from that same article that I quoted before, the female gaze is not about asserting female dominance on screen, and it doesn't mean that therefore we get to quote manjectify men <laughs> in reverse the male gaze is not just about objectifying women a male perspective doesn't have to mean women are objectified even though the majority of the time this is true it's a way to explain a limited male view where the rest of the characters exist mainly to serve him his interests and his storyline right and this is something that I've seen a lot of people get wrong about the male gaze. I've, I mean, if you discuss anything on the internet, you're going to yeah. see comments that make you frustrated. But I've had, <laughs> I've seen comments in online discussions about women in superhero films where I or other women will point out that, you know, certain female characters were designed for the male gaze. And so, of course, most men like her. So for context, this is like for all the male Star Wars fans who don't like Rey. And they'll be like, oh, but I'm not sexist because I like Padme and Leia. No, that's <laughs> nope. That's not how it works. Right. <laughs> because there are so many female characters that were designed for the male gaze. So, of course, men like them. Yeah. And then, like, I've seen a comment where a man will say something to the effect of they don't find that actress attractive. So... It's not the male gaze. I'm like, no, what? that's not what the male gaze is. No. I know. I know. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. I'm like, I can't explain it in 240 characters. Please go <laughs> read a book. Um, <laughs> so Forster goes on to say in her article, if the male gaze is all about what men see, then the female gaze is about making the audience feel what women see and experience. Yeah. In the most basic terms, if the purpose of women in the context of the male gaze is to be looked at or to be posited as like a surface level archetype, um, then within the feminine gaze, it is to truly see and to be seen. Yeah. So it's the idea that within 
a romantic relationship, both partners can see the other's true self. And rather than one partner being the passive object of the other's desire, both partners are active in framing that desire for each other. I love that. So in film... Thank you. So in film, visually, it's often represented by emphasis on eyes and hands. So you'll have the camera like lingering on a longing gaze that that, like we love to swoon over or like hands and fingers touching or being held. Pride and Prejudice 2005 is peak female gaze. Yes. If anyone wants to. If anyone wants an example. Um, But I mean, these aren't the only ways to visually frame the female gaze, but I think this, we see these really commonly. The female gaze can also exist outside of romantic pairings though. And I think that's, that's where so many people kind of limit their, their framing of both the male gaze and the female gaze. They think of it in very limited terms. Like it's just this one thing. But it can actually exist outside of, you know, potential romantic pairings. Sure. Russian Doll is a great example of a work that employs the female gaze without focusing on a romance. So Russian Doll, as we discussed in our episode, um, it uses mirrors as a symbol and it uses some of the surreal elements. So like the time loop. And then also like Nadia's glimpses of her childhood self as ways to like visually and symbolically signify Nadia's inner gaze as she is gazing within herself. Yeah. Right. Of course, WandaVision does have a romantic relationship at its core. And we do see the feminine gaze in that relationship. We don't get to see very much of it, unfortunately, but we do see that there is that kind of equal active participation in that um, exchange between Wanda and Vision. Uh, Especially in the earlier episodes, we see them like holding hands, they make eye contact a lot, and that's, you know, framed and emphasized quite a bit. But... The idea of the feminine gaze also extends to Wanda's story outside of that relationship. So as we, sounds like a broken record at this point, but, but as we've said, like the entire, the, like the show at its core is about Wanda's perception of herself and her reality. Sure. And we see through the exploration You know, we touched on stages of grief. Like we see through that exploration that her perception of the world and of her own identity is not clear, but gradually becomes clearer. So she has literally constructed a a reality in which her perception of things is all that matters and is all that is real, which, you know, I think so many of us do that figuratively where, you know, we kind of lose sight of reality for what's in front of our faces. Um, And it's only as Wanda comes to see herself clearly and accept reality as it is that she's able to fully be her true self. Right. When she accepts her power and she accepts her, she takes on her identity as the Scarlet Witch. She says to Agatha, 
I don't need you to tell me who I am. Um, yeah. I love that moment. So great. She's been allowing outside forces to tell her who she is this whole time. Yeah. And now she's finally ready to look within herself to find who she truly is. And in that moment, we all see Wanda for who she is, which is the the crux of the of the feminine gaze. Yeah. That's all I wrote. <laughs> Heck yeah. Yeah, you know. Yes. I think it's kind of interesting that I was so heartbroken about this whole thing for her when really it's the most powerful and healthy thing we could have given Wanda is to yeah. set her down this road, you know? And I I just love this this whole series so much. I think it does such a nice job of saying like Yes, it is difficult. Like life is legitimately difficult and you will have your heart broken, but also you can find your strength, right? And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I really. Yeah. And it. I just hope that like, so like, I think we see this a lot in in media that like for a woman to like come into her full power and be her true self, she has to give up something. Right. And like in this particular case, like, yes, that was true. Like it was unhealthy for Wanda to have this false reality completely constructed around her. So like in this case, yes, she needed to give that up. But I think the idea of that and maybe like why you responded so strongly, you know, like why you wanted her to be able to stay in that reality in a way, I think it's because we do see that so often that like a woman can't be happy and be in love. Right. And also come into her full power. Right. And be her true self. Like she has to choose one or the other. And I think that's, you know, what we're so used to seeing. And it's so disheartening and so harmful to have that idea. So, yeah, I'm I'm cautiously hopeful that eventually we will get to see Wanda both claim her full power and be happy right can she have both please um and that's one where I wish we got a season two where we had to see her continue to struggle and eventually get to where she's going like I would I would Mm -hmm. watch that for days you know it's it's just not the show but I I would I want to (laughs) watch right yeah it also kind of this is so out of left field, but it also kind of makes me think of Thirty Rock. How Tina Fey is always saying, "I can have it all," and like <laughs> it's never true. Um, yeah, just reminds me of that as well. That women can't possibly be happy and also strong and also have good careers. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm sad. Anyway. You know, I'm sad to let this one go. I think, like, with our Riverdale series, yeah. we were both pretty ready. <laughs> or, like, yeah. even with Pirates, we were pretty ready to let it go. But this one... We got like, tired of Riverdale. We, yeah. We talked a whole lot about it. Um, I think we we gave Riverdale way more attention than it deserves. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty trash. 
It's not that deep. <laughs> no. It's pretty. If you okay. want to just stare at something. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But yeah, I agree. I'm sad to let this one go. But. Kind of like how Wanda was we have, we have to learn like Wanda learned. We have to let things go. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> the five stages of grief after watching WandaVision. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also. You can always just rewatch the show, though. We are, I think we're so used to getting things like Supernatural where you get like a million seasons. <laughs> like, Oh, my gosh. That show just kept going and going. <laughs> Or Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Grey's Anatomy is, I think it's still going, it's isn't still it? It's still rocking out. Yeah. It's still going. Yeah. So I think. But I mean, this was never, you know, this was always intended to just be a limited series. Yeah. So I think. We'll see her. Well, hopefully we'll see Wanda in movies. and Yeah. Yeah. In like British television, they set really healthy boundaries for how long a show will go. So I feel like a yes, British viewer <laughs> might not feel as like, what? We only got one season? But Americans, we kind of mm-hmm. were like that little girl who turns into a blueberry in. Um, I want a squirrel. <laughs> exactly. In um, I want a season two of WandaVision. In Willy Wonka. I was like, am I not going to be able to come up with what this was called? Yeah. America is very like, <laughs> I want it so we get it. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? One American TV series that did not overstay its welcome, The Good Place. The Good Place. Which, by the way... Is what we're talking about next month. It's our next <gasps> month. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I'm super excited. Me too. Oh, we didn't talk about our quiz. Well, we talked about our quiz results with, with, um, with Girls with Sabres. Yeah. Yeah. Because we wanted to hear their results. It's funny that they were both Agatha. Yeah. <laughs> I fully forgot we did that. So I put it in here. But yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. But you're Monica, and I love that for you. I just, I love her so much. Yeah. I'm Wanda, and that tracks. Perfect. Because I have constructed a false reality. (laughs) (laughs) And resurrected my robot boyfriend. Oh, no. I've met him. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, yeah. Oh, yes. And next, so, yes. So... The Good Place, but before The Good Place, we have my birthday bonus. Yes. So, tune in for that. Yeah. Because somehow, we're already in April and planning May. Oh my gosh. Because I guess... We're already thinking about May. Oh my gosh. (sighs) It's May. It's gonna be May. May. I never get sick of that gift. Ever, 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 ever. Just my like with his top ramen hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's enough for now. Yeah. Um, Thanks so much, my friends. Stay safe. Continue to wear masks and take care of each other. Mm-hmm. Get vaccinated if you can. If at all possible. And if not, hold it. Yes. Hang in. You'll get it eventually. Hang in there. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Bye. Bye. Yeah.